Listener Production. You may be more familiar with female anatomy than male anatomy, but do you still have questions? Although you may think you'll know exactly what's going on with your little girl's genitals, there's actually a lot that's different, including some scary things that are entirely normal. This is Mother Doctor Nurse, our 12-week special series tackling the health and safety of our children. On this episode, our experts answer your questions about female genitals. Feed, Play, Love with Sarah Hunstead and Dr. Deb Levy. We're all different, and even if we're familiar with the equipment, the body can present new and curious things to us as parents. Today, paediatrician Dr. Deb Levy and paediatric nurse Sarah Hunstead are going to answer all your questions about female genitals. That means we're talking vulvas and vaginas. Welcome to episode five of our special series, Mother Dr. Nurse. Girl bits. Deb, Sarah, hello. Hi, guys. So good to be back again. I just want to preface that the first time people will be listening to this is at the very beginning of International Women's Day week. We're going to say it's a week. Why just have a day? So let's, you know, (laughs) let's take care of our precious bits and celebrate being women. Um, Let's start with Nikki. She says, do I need to clean around my child's vulva every nappy change or only if there's poop? There is often a buildup of white stuff. Is this normal and safe to leave alone, Sarah? Okay. I think one of the things that we need to remember is that the vaginal area is really, really sensitive. So it's one of those things, particularly in little ones, that the skin can be quite thin and easily irritated. So it's one of those things where, yes, we need to clean it, but we're not going to go scrubbing or anything like that. Because, I mean, think about what would you like that done to you? I don't think so. So either would you, maybe. (laughs) So... Of course, what we're going to do is that at every nappy change, because the urine can actually be quite irritating as well, it's not just about the poo. We don't want to leave the wheeze on there as well. So using a nice soft cloth with some water or a non-fragranced wipe, you're going to be wiping the outer surfaces and the inner surfaces, and you're going to be wiping from front to back. You are definitely going to, and I know that a lot of first-time parents really feel a little bit of angst about this, but gently using your fingers, you actually need to part the labia as well and get in there and gently wipe from front to back, making sure that you remove all of those bits of poo, um, especially if they've had a poonami, really make sure that you're getting into all of those little bits. And of course, if there is discharge, which is normal, and I know Deb will talk about um, different types of discharge and what's normal and what's not later, so I won't go into any of that. It's okay. You don't have to be wiping away all of that discharge every time. What we want to do is make sure we've cleaned all the surfaces, gotten rid of all the poo. But Deb, is there something else you would like to add to that? No, I I think that if your baby has just done a simple little wee, a wet nappy, um, a simple wipe externally from front to back is normally, or up to down, really, because they're lying on their backs, um, is enough. But definitely, 100%, Sarah, if they've done one of those really squishy, yicky, yucky poos, it is about 
you know, opening things up a little bit so that you can get all that poo out because sitting there not only increases um, localized problems, irritations and infections, but can also lead to urinary tract infections. So just to clarify as well for Nikki, when she's asked that last part of the question too, do you need to wipe away all of that white white discharge that's there? The answer is no. So um, you don't have to go getting rid of that every time. That's okay. Hannah says, what do you recommend for recurring nappy rash? At what point do I need medical assessment for recurring nappy rash? I'm going to throw that one to Deb, I think. Sure. I've got a little simple trick for parents with this one. And really, it's I call it my ABCD. And this is about how to avoid as well as treat any nappy rashes. So the A stands for avoiding irritants. Sarah has already mentioned that urine is an irritant, which is absolutely true, um, as is poo, as um, are chemicals if you're using, um, you know, sometimes those disposable diapers your child may be reacting to or whatever creams, lotions and potions you're using. So A, avoid irritants. B, bear that bottom. Here is a bit of nappy for each other. <laughs> you know, timed safely in terms of after a poo um, so that it's less likely they're going to do a poo when they bear, um, but definitely some nappy-free time. C is for creams. This is choosing a good quality, simple barrier cream. I have a few preferences. Um, I like the the ones that have a bit of calendula in because that's nice and calming on the skin. But otherwise, you know, a simple straight barrier cream like a pseudo cream or something like that. D is when to see a doctor. So when do I see nappy rashes? Really, it's if they're becoming very severe, either severe in terms of the pain and discomfort your child is experiencing or severe in terms of the actual rash. So with those few simple measures that I've already given, usually that'll settle down most you know, mild nappy rashes. The ones that are a little bit angrier and a little bit more irritated or perhaps even have a secondary infection which can either be from a yeast like candida or a bacteria, those ones aren't going to settle down. They're going to probably be more painful, more red, and a bit more extensive. So those are the ones that I would recommend um, seeking medical attention for. And also nappy rashes that seem to just linger or that coming back all the time. Because then my question is always, well, why? And do we need to look at another underlying cause for it? This question from Laura is a little bit long, so bear with me. My two and a half year old daughter had hip dysplasia and was braced from six weeks to 18 months. So not sure if it is related. She hasn't been braced now for 12 months. She rocks, grinds on the floor or the bed whenever she is about to sleep or is not stimulated in a setting. Think of a frog position and she rocks, rubs her genitals on the floor. I did read that rocking can be autistic related. But she has no other traits when Googled in relation to that. So I wonder if a two and a half year old does this as it's rubbing her labia and she likes the feeling and it's comforting. Is this normal? Do female toddlers get sexual feelings at all? You know, I remember when I was in medical school way, way back um, and we were shown this video and we were shown a video of she was around about this age, actually, two and a half, three, a little girl who was lying on the floor. She had her legs across each other, so they were straight and they were like scissoring. She was flushed. She was breathing quickly. She had an unusual expression on her face. And we're shown it by a neurologist. Um, And the question was to our whole class, 
do you think that these are seizures? I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent, but you'll see I'm coming back to the topic. So a, a lot of the class said, yep, these look like seizures. What could they be? But it all turned out to be masturbation. And it's entirely normal for young children to masturbate. But they don't do it from a sexual angle. They do it because they're exploring their body. It's just another body part. And hey, it feels kind of good to do it. You know, so that's why children will often do it. And sometimes it even becomes a self-soothing mechanism that they use when they're feeling anxious, stressed, or even just tired. So, you know, what the, the listener was asking there was around about the rocking, the grinding, entirely normal. So I think that the message around that is don't be alarmed. Don't feel that there's something weird or scary going on. And especially in such a young age, really, I would just let it be. Would you add anything to that, Sarah? Oh, no, I just, I love exactly what Deb has just said. And I think um, I'm just going to take the opportunity now that we're on the subject to kind of extend a little bit more, if that's okay. Um, because I think, it, you know, absolutely, A, it's completely normal. And we're talking about a two and a half year old here. But what about with the older kids? What about with, you know, the three, four, five year olds? And one of the most important things, and we talked about this in the last episode with the boy bits, but I'm sure if you're listening to girl bits, you might not have listened to the last one as well, maybe. So we need to make sure that we never, ever, ever shame our kids for doing this, that letting them know it is completely normal, that it is fine for them to be exploring their bodies that just for the older kids there's certain times when you do it and it's something that's just for you and that's one of the important things so as I said last week sitting at the dinner table with grandma and grandpa that's probably not the time to do it when they're a bit older it's explaining that that's something that you can absolutely do for you but you do that when you're alone in your room and I'm going to go off on another tangent just because I can because it's a great opportunity to to open up this conversation which I think we really all should be doing as well and that is I love that we've been just shouting vagina and vulva from the rooftops today like <laughs> seriously because that's what they're called okay it's the vagina let's not give our girls other names you know for it to be called by for their safety okay when we're talking child protection and because they should know the right names for their anatomy we need to be calling it a vagina vulva all the bits label them correctly and speaking of child protection and safety there are some awesome books that I just want to give a quick shout out to um, that are listed on the Bravehearts website, which I'm sure Siobhan will pop in the notes below as well. And it's how to talk to your kids about their genitals, about the bits that are just for them and not for other people. So um, Everyone's Got a Bottom by Tess Rowley, which is a fabulous book for the little kids and for the older ones, for both boys and girls. And I recommend buy it now, put it away for later if you've got young ones. Welcome to Consent by Yumi Steins and Dr. Melissa Kang. Melissa Kang is the dolly doctor. I love her forever. But seriously, <laughs> get those books, go to the Bravehearts website, and thank you for letting me go on my tangents. Oh, anytime, Sarah, anytime. Our next question comes from Brandy. She says, my daughter is potty trained at two and a half, but her bits get red and inflamed. She hates wearing clothes. Please, do you have any tips on how I can help her? I think that one's a Deb question, isn't it? 
Red and inflamed vaginas to me always makes me think of something called vulvovaginitis. And as the name sounds, it's inflammation, that's itis, of the vulva and the vagina. So just a little quick anatomy lesson, because I made me think of this when Sarah was talking a moment ago. Maybe people don't actually know the real words to teach their children. I'm going to talk actually about labia majora, minora, vulva. So the vulva is the outside of the vagina, the, the female genitalia, the vagina is the inside. Um, you've got your labia majora, which are the big lips sitting outside, and the labia minora, which are the thin lips sitting inside. I think that that's probably the best way to, to explain it. Sarah, you think oh, that's the best way to explain it? Yeah, I've got a great visual here, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in in terms of um, what the question is about is that redness and irritation, swelling. So that's vulvovaginitis. It's incredibly common in young children. And that is because, as we've mentioned already, it's a very sensitive area. The skin is very sensitive. So it's vulnerable to getting irritated. And what does it get irritated from? Typically, especially in the beautiful weather we have here in Australian summer, it's from things like sitting in swimming costumes for a long time or maybe um, using like nylon containing or polyester containing underwear, bubble baths, bath bombs, fragranced creams and all those other lotions that um, you may be using on your child or your child may be exploring with in your in your cupboard. And, you know, so really it's, it's, a, it's from local irritation. If you think your child could have vulvovaginitis, by all means, see your healthcare provider. But there are a few things you can do first. And that would be around avoiding irritants and trying to protect that area. So I guess my top tips would be use cotton underwear. Make sure your child isn't sitting in damp underwear. That may mean supervising wiping. And use a barrier cream such as a simple diaper cream. So that may be enough to settle things down. But definitely get things checked out. This question comes from Kim. She says, my child comes home from daycare often with stains on her undies. I don't think it's discharge. She's going through a phase of being distracted and not wanting to go to the toilet when she really needs to. So I think she sometimes has little leaks. I also suspect she isn't wiping properly. And by the end of the day, her private area can be a bit smelly. Do you have any advice? Well, first, I just want to say, you know, you're 100% right in terms of all your concerns and queries and presumptions. You're right. Your, your child probably isn't wiping as thoroughly as they should. My little six-year-old, when she started kindy, like it, the, the same thing happened. I spoke to her, I spoke to the teacher, and then thankfully over the next few days, it stopped happening. So I think open communication, both with your child as well as their carers, you know, is primary to try and overcome that. In terms of discharge, I guess I just wanted to highlight um, what's normal and what's not normal and when you should worry. So what is normal? A little bit of clear white, maybe even light colored yellow um, discharge is entirely normal. However, if that discharge starts to become thick, darker yellow, green, blood-stained, offensive smelling, then I would be concerned. And if your child has any of that, you absolutely need to take them to your healthcare provider. But in terms of that, maybe a little bit of yellow, that old urine smell, all with a normal and all remedied just with um, prompting for better hygiene. 
Kara says, and I think you've touched on this, um, Deb, but I do think it's worth bringing up again. Kara says, my daughters love bath bombs and I have read they're not good for their private areas. Is this true? What is safe for use down there? Down there. And the reason I bring that up is because I am I love a good bath yeah. bomb. And they're quite fun and little girls do like them. And, and I avoided them with my daughter for quite a while, thinking that it was always going to irritate. I guess the question I have, Deb, is we know that it's if something's going on, it can be quite irritating. But does that mean that we should never use them if the area of the vagina and vulva is completely healthy and fine? No, I think everything in moderation. You know, I have two little girls, they love their bath bombs. And thankfully, they don't get any reactions. So it's just about being sensible. If you notice any redness, itching, ir- you know, irritation afterwards, then just don't use them anymore or perhaps use a product that doesn't use the same kind of ingredients because often those bath bombs can be very mass-produced with lots of chemicals, artificial fragrances, etc. You may be able to find one, you know, that's a bit more natural. Or if you have older children, you can do it as, you know, a weekend home um, DIY kind of craft thing. But, um, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't do the broad, you know, ban all bath bombs. I think my children would ban me from the house if I said that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it was well, after they've been in the bath with the bath bomb, just get them to have a good rinse off afterwards as well so that that's not staying on the skin. And avoid the ones with glitter in them because they're just not good for the environment. Glitter shouldn't be going down into our waterways. There we go. Another tangent. You're welcome. Nice. Leah's question is, my daughters often complain about a sore vagina or vulva. My eldest sometimes won't sleep because it's hurting her. It can look red and we use cream. We know she can be distracted and not wipe properly. But how can I tell if something is wrong? I have heard worms can cause a sore vagina. Is this true? And Deb, I know you've answered the first part of that. So we've talked about um, making sure that, that the vagina vulva area isn't irritated that we talk to our kids about wiping properly, that sort of thing. I'm more interested in the answer to the last part of that question. Can worms cause a sore vagina? Yes, they can. So let me tell you about these funny little revolting things called pinworms or threadworms. (laughs) Do we Um, have to? Yeah, (laughs) do. I think we do. Um, So... Look at Sarah. She is so excited to be talking about pinworms. Yeah, because I know how excited Deb is about pinworms. This is one of her things. She's got a poo cup. <laughs> I've been looking for a pinworm cup for her, but I can't find oh, thanks, one. Sarah. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, so I'll give you the, the the quick, you know, five second version on pinworms. So firstly, they're really common. You'd be very lucky if you avoid your children getting them at some stage. And it doesn't mean that anyone's dirty when they get them. So it's just one of those things that's highly contagious. And you will know if you get them too, by the way. Oh, yes. So, <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. So they're spread by what we call the fecal oral route. So it's by touching something else that some other child has touched that's got them, etc. So what happens? They get swallowed. They live in the gut. They grow into little worms. And they're tiny little worms, hence the name threadworms or pinworms. At night time, they crawl out of the bum onto the anus and lay their eggs. Exactly. (laughs) So right. And that is incredibly itchy for children. 
So it is, for example, one of the things I consider if I see a child in my rooms who's waking up at night uncomfortable, crying, unsettled. Could they have pinworms that's waking them up? So what happens after they've laid their eggs, they've done their little thing? They then crawl back up into the gut, up the bum, up into the gut again. But some get a little bit lost on their journey and will... (laughs) And can crawl up into the vagina or even the urethra, but most mostly the vagina. And so obviously girls. Um, and what do they do there? Exactly the same thing. They love the, the dark, warm, moist environment. They can either stay in the vagina, they can go up into the uterus, and they can cause discomfort, pain, irritation, all these things that the bumworms can cause too. I know, right? Ugh. Yeah, and it's very difficult to treat. I must just say, it's like you know the the normal pinworm. You know, everyone's seen those um, those those chewy things, chocolate flavored, orange flavored, whatever that you do. And we should actually do a, a podcast all about worms. Oh I yes, think. please. Yeah, <laughs> because there's so much to talk about, so, so I won't go into detail now. Um, <laughs> let this be a little teaser for you. Um, but I think that um, it does. You know, it's it's sometimes not as simple to treat. So I guess the message that I'm giving is, yes, it can happen. Um, If you think it's happening, if your child is older and you're confident with it, you can start some self-treatment. Alternatively, go and see your doctor who will help guide you because those over-the-counter treatments may not be enough to help. So I have a lot of personal experience here. My children would repeatedly get worms. um, And, you know, that's just how it is. But... Every time that one of them would complain about a pain in their um, vagina or vulva, the first thing I would do is you need to look. Um, and uh, sometimes you won't see anything, sometimes you will. And uh, it's just one of those things. So I would look and often you would, uh, well, I would see a worm there and we go, right, okay, that's it. And sometimes you wouldn't, but they still would have worms. But it, I think it's one of those things that you've got to be on your radar. If they're complaining of a sore vaginal area, vulval area, think it might be worms. Oh, it's such a delightful topic. <laughs> Okay, moving on from worms, even though I know you both want to stay here. The question from Shana says, what is the best way to get a wee sample? (gasps) Please, can I take this one? Yes, you can. Okay, seriously, as a nurse, this is something that you do all the time. Because basically any kid who comes into the emergency department who's got a fever or tummy pain or anything like that, they get a urine sample, don't you worry. So... First thing is, shouldn't the question be, sorry to interrupt, but shouldn't the question be, what's the best way to get a wee sample without getting it all over your hands? Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry, but that's gloves. not even an option. We're not even going there. Gloves. Yeah. No, don't even, no, don't even worry about the gloves. Come on. It's a kid's pee. Don't worry about it. Yeah. So it is likely that you'll be covered in urine, your hands, your top, your pants. Just, it's going to happen. Excellent. Don't even worry about it. Okay. I've used gloves. I've used gloves. Oh, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Look, Deb, we know we know it's Sarah's game. It's all right. I know. <laughs> so, first of all, make sure that one, when you're given that container, nothing touches the inside of the container. Very, very important. Not your fingers, not their toes when they're kicking around because they don't want to give you a wee sample. Nothing touches the inside. Really important. We need to keep that sterile. Now very important. Next thing, you actually clean their vulval area. 
Okay, so make sure that you are doing that really nice thorough clean. And then it's about waiting and vigilance. If there is two of you, that's even better. Fantastic. You could be giving, if it's a baby, you could be giving them a feed while somebody else is watching the other end. If it's an older child, we'll go into that in a sec. But with the babies, there is a trick that I learned from Nurse Peg. Nurse Peg is a nurse who has been doing this for a very, very long time. And she would sprinkle water over their tummy while we're waiting for a wee. And I don't know if this is Nurse Peg magic or if there is any substance to this. It could be that this was just her, but it would make the kids wee. It was amazing. She would just sprinkle that warm water <laughs> over their bellies, over the... Um, over their pelvic region and they would wee. So what you're going to do is when they start to wee, you're going to get in there with a jar, you're going to get urine in there only and not touch it on the skin and then put the lid on. Now, when it comes to the toddlers, this can be a little bit more tricky than the babies. So what you want to do is try and sit them on the potty or the toilet, get them to pass a little bit of wee first and then get in there and catch it. It can be tricking. You're probably going to need an iPad or something like that for distraction. Sometimes letting the tap in the bathroom run so you've got that lovely trickling water that'll probably make you want to pee more than them. And of course, make sure they're hydrated. Make sure that they actually have something in their bladder to pee as well. And it's just about vigilance and patience, to be completely honest. Deb, do you have anything else you want to add to that? Just a couple of things. One, um, I will often have families say to me, can I just stick a bag on, you know, those little urine bags? And that's like a little a little bag with a sticky circle and you literally stick it over the genital area. Unfortunately, it's actually not that accurate because, you know, Sarah's mentioned a few times about we want nothing in there, no fingers, toes, penises, nothing other than urine. And when you're sticking it on the skin, often what happens is you get it gets contaminated by whatever else is sitting on the skin. And we all have bacteria sitting on our skin. That's just normal. It doesn't mean you're infection, infected. You know, so unfortunately, urine bags are not good for detecting urinary tract infections. And then the other trick that I've always used for the older children who are developmentally able is stand them in the bath. So maybe that's similar to nurse peg in terms of a bit of water on their body. But um, it's standing them with their feet in the bath. And of, often I find then, yep, that's when the weeing will happen. And I've got one last little trick. When you've got that urine jar, so for those of you who um, haven't seen one before, a specimen jar is a small plastic jar, typically with a yellow lid on it here in Australia. What I suggest is unscrew it, turn it upside down, so the, the jar is resting on the lid, but everything is still contained in there in terms of, sorry, it's an empty jar, but there's no contamination in there yet. So that as soon as the child starts to wee, you can whip it up and catch the urine. <laughs> Love it. I don't know if I'm explaining that accurately, but um, I know that that's a helpful tip as well. This next question comes from Nusha who says, do we need to see a GP if I notice labia sticking together? So what we're talking about here are labial adhesions. Again, very, very common. Typically from about that six-month to two-year age range is when children will get them. And um, what am I referring to here? If you remembered my very, very brief anatomy lesson earlier, there's labia minora, which are the inside, and labia majora, which are outside. 
So here we're talking about the labia minora, so the, those inner thinner lips. And what happens in some children is that they join together to a variable extent. So they could just be a part of it. It could be the whole area. And typically speaking, these don't cause children any problems. They don't cause pain. They don't cause um, difficulties with peeing um, or any kind of infection or anything like that. And we just watch and wait. And, and um, again, in the vast majority, they'll all improve on their own as they get older. There's a small percentage of children who will have more significant adhesions, perhaps that it's impacting the way that they pass urine, which can then cause urinary tract infections or um, soiling and things like that, leaking of urine, because essentially just sits behind that area. You know, so I think that it all depends on how severe it is. So to answer the question specifically, do you need to see someone? I always think it's a good idea to have a review, but often, more often than not, it there's no specific intervention. For those more severe ones, we may be considering a steroid or an estrogen-containing cream, but um, most often we do nothing, actually. Kim asks, I have seen multiple blog posts this past week saying that you should never encourage kids to do a just-in-case wee before long car trips because it's not a good habit. Are there any real dangers in doing this? I tell you what, I certainly have told my children to go and do a wee before we're about to do a long car trip because I don't want to stop on that freeway. Thank you very much. Definitely not. But it's not a habit that we want to get into regularly. The reason is, is that when our bladder starts to fill up and it gets to a certain point, um, it, a simple way of explaining it is then goes, oh, yep, okay, I've got enough in here now. I'm going to send a signal that is going to make you feel like you need to wait. And if we are constantly making our kids and all yourself doing that just in case we, then that kind of alert to the bladder, to the brain that says, oh, we're full now, we need to empty, then that volume becomes less. And what you might find that instead of needing, um, you know, to go to the toilet at, you know, at, at, you know, the normal intervals, that what can happen is, is that your bladder thinks or your child's bladder thinks that when there's only just a little bit of wee in it that you need to go and so you get that urgency and that needing that feeling of needing to go all the time so that's why it's important that we're not always doing that just in case we but I do get it you know if you're about to you know drive two hours going somewhere I'm definitely going to make my kids pee before they go I think this question is a prime example of we have to be careful where we're getting our information from I 100% agree with Sarah. It, it's all about, let's be sensible about this. You know, we're not going to make our child pee every 30 minutes when they're at home. But it's totally fine to tell your child before you get into the car, before you go and watch a movie, whatever it may be, go and do a wee just so that, you know, we're not going to be interrupted. But to then start shaming families and giving them misinformation, I just, there's my soapbox for the episode. <laughs> <laughs> They're all very valid soapboxes. Our last question comes from Trish. She says, last week you talked about medical emergencies in boys, such as testicular torsion and the foreskin getting stuck. Are there any medical emergencies to know about for little girls? Yes and no. I think the, the, the medical emergencies um, are probably a little bit more obvious in girls, and that would be a significant trauma. Um, but that's 
you know, you, you would know that that's a medical emergency. Because I remember once I saw a little girl, um, she was about six and she'd been running around her pool area and it slipped into, they had like a rocky area and she had a significant laceration over her, her labia. That's clear. That's an emergency. One thing I do want to mention, though, that may not be so clear is an unusual discharge. So earlier on, I was talking about those discharges to worry about, and you may have recalled that I mentioned a blood-stained or an offensive one, so a smelly one. One of the things that we consider there is a foreign body. Children love to stick things into holes, <laughs> noses, ears, wherever they want, and that includes their vagina. It's normal. It's just a developmental thing. Don't worry about it. But you may not know that your child has done that. You know, so if your child has that discharge, please take them to your healthcare provider. If they're not clear, they may then refer on to um, either a children's hospital emergency department or even, even a gynecologist. We do have pediatric gynecologists. That would be my main two emergencies I could think of. And I think you're right there, Deb. But We've been talking a lot about discharge and there is this amazing fun fact that I think Deb should share with everyone. Sure. Um, mini periods. What is that? It can be fairly alarming for parents of newborn babies when suddenly their little girl has a mucousy, bloody discharge coming from their vagina. It can be scary, but it is entirely normal. We kind of refer to it as a mini period and we think that um, it's because children are babies, little girls, sorry, are withdrawing from the, the hormone environment of their mum's tummies. But it only lasts like hours to a couple of days. It is nothing like a real period. It is nothing to worry about. And it's just something that as new parents of little girls, you should be aware of. I never knew that. Huh. Well, ladies, thank you so much for your time today and for answering all those questions. See you next week. Thanks, everyone. Dr. Deb Levy and Sarah Hunstead will be back next episode answering all your questions about poo. It's funny what becomes fascinating once you're a parent and poo is a topic that's top of the list. You may have a question about the consistency of your baby's poo or how regularly your toddler uses the toilet. Whatever your question is, no question is stupid, no question is silly, email us at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. See you soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love, a listener original podcast. If there's something you'd like to learn more about, email me at feedplaylove at sca.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. For more great kids and parenting podcasts, check out the Listener app. And don't forget to follow us. I'm Siobhan Hunt. See you next time.